All right, so as you see, we're continuing on uh, the series that started last week, which is entitled Casting Down Imaginations. All right, so 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, and it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And as we had already started out last week, we saw that, as it says up here, that even though we walk around in this fleshly body, we have a soulish man which basically contains our thoughts, our will, our emotions, our feelings. And we also have a spirit man, which is what's going to be with Jesus Christ in eternity. Amen. It says that while we're here on earth in this physical bodies, we still engage in warfare on a daily basis. And here's the thing. You may not think you're in warfare, but you are in warfare all the time. So as Christians, we need to be aware of the fact that you're wearing the armor of God, the armor of light. And the enemy, when he sees that, let's look at this from a military perspective. If I had on the United States Marines uniform and I walk into Iraq and I'm walking around with no gun or anything like that, and I'm just drifting all around through the neighborhood, guess what? A sniper is going to take me out because he sees I have on armor or the uniform of another principality, another kingdom, another armed force. So the same way, we're walking around on a daily basis with God's armor on, God's uniform, so the enemy sees that, and he doesn't like that. So as a result, there's going to be warfare that comes our way, and it's not about you always picking a fight. Sometimes the enemy is just going to attack you just because you're walking around in the characteristics and the loving nature of Jesus Christ. So that being the case, God doesn't want us to be afraid of the attacks of the enemy. He just wants us to be alerted to these things and realize that as they occur, that he has given us spiritual weapons to counteract and overcome those attacks that come our way. Now, it's no circumstance that once we get saved, the Word of God says that he gives us the helmet of salvation. And the reason for that is that most of the warfare that we experience as Christians on a daily basis is not your fellow believers that got an outfit on that you don't like or quoted a scripture that you didn't like. But a lot of the warfare we experience on a daily basis is right up here in our brains. So God says, don't try to fight these things in your flesh. You need to fight these things from the Spirit of God. And as we see here, the things that attack us are mighty. They try to put strongholds in our lives that control us and hinder us from walking in God. But he's given us the capability to take every thought that comes into our head. And if it's contrary to the will of God, we need to take that thought. And the same way you would grab something and throw it to the ground hard to break it, we need to take those thoughts that come in that try to make us sin, that try to tempt us away from God, that try to make us lose faith in who God is. We need to take each one of those thoughts, capture it, as it says here, and then throw it down and demolish it so that it can't hinder us from our faith in God. Amen? So that's pretty much what we started out last week, and we're just going to continue on this week. So before we go any further, let's just have a word of prayer. Amen? Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just praise and thank you, Father, for what you've done in us through your word. And Father, just enable us in this time of season as we're starting out the new year to study the topic of casting down imaginations. Because as we saw in the last week, as a man or woman thinks in his heart, so is he. So if we think from a limited perspective about ourselves and our capabilities as well as who you are in our lives. We're going to live from a limited perspective. So we're just thanking you, Father, for teaching us through your word how to examine our thoughts, Father, how to take 
ownership and rulership over those things so that they no longer thwart us in our faith and to walk in the excellence and abundant life you intended for us. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for the progress we've made so far in terms of how we think. We praise you, Father, even more so what you're going to teach us in the coming weeks. And we just give you the praise, honor, glory for freedom not only to live abundantly, but also to touch other lives for Jesus Christ. And we just thank and praise your Father for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, so as I was evaluating this topic, one of the things the Lord placed upon my mind is that there's a hierarchy in terms of the Godhead, and God should be first in our lives, then it should be us, and then it should be the things of this world system. And as you look at the way that we think, there's also a hierarchy in terms of that as well. And the way that God wanted it to be is that everything that we look at in life, we should view it from the perspective of God is a sovereign ruler of every aspect of my life. Amen? And if there's any thought that comes into our minds that will take us away from believing that God is Lord and Savior, God is the one that directs the course of my life, God can meet all my needs and provide for me, protect me, and be my refuge, then it's something that we need to dismiss. Now, the second level, as we see our our thoughts, is that not only do we see the nature of God and who he is in our lives as being the epitome of everything and the sovereign rule of everything, but the next step should be, okay, now that I've defined God as the all in all in my life, the next step should be, okay, well, what does God have for my life? What is his, is his purpose? What does he call me to do? And those are the kinds of things that we should ponder. Then after that, there's our everyday thoughts. There's the bills, there's that issue over here, there's politics, there's all these different things. But basically, as we think on a daily basis, that is kind of like the order in which it should be. What is God saying? What is, then the next level, man, what does God have me do? What's his purpose for me and what he has for, in store for me? And then the third is our everyday thoughts about various situations. Unfortunately, the enemy, as he comes in to try to entangle us, to deceive us, to hinder us, and to wound us, he basically tries to reverse everything around. Instead of being ruled by God and what God says about our life and who we are and what he's called for us to do. Instead, we get obsessed by these various thoughts. My bills aren't paid. I'm going to lose my home. They're laying off people at the jobs. We may reverse that and put our negative thoughts at the top. And through that, we lose sight of the fact that first we're worrying about what's going through our head. Then we're worrying about our fleshly desires and purpose and things like that. And then finally, God ends up dead last. And as you talk to people and they're negative, or you have a negative thought process, it comes to the place where if we really evaluate how we think, God actually a lot of times could be on the bottom if we walk around defeated from a daily perspective. Amen? So as Christians, we talk, and we're the first to say, oh, somebody asks you, is God sovereign rule of your life? Is he your Lord, Master, and Savior? Can God meet every need according to his riches and glory? Every one of us in this room would say, well, yes. Amen? But as we're walking down on a daily basis, what controls you? What governs you? As you get up out of bed every morning and you have to go to work or school, do you go out the mindset that I'm God's precious possession? I'm a child of the king. God's going to do this and that. Or do you get up and say, oh, another miserable day at school and I'm about to fail this test today. Do you get up and say, oh, another miserable day going to this job that I hate and my boss is going to be picking on me again. How do you think about things? <laughs> I already see some reactions. 
But how do you think about things on a daily basis? Because if, if you thought about things according to God's hierarchy, as you get up out of bed, thank you, Jesus. Another day of life, and wow, there's great things that I could do for the kingdom of God today. And because I'm God's child, I have the mindset of Christ, I have my Lord and Savior guiding me, protecting me, providing for me. This is another day of victory in Jesus. Amen? You see what God's hierarchy does? But we think according to letting our thoughts rule us, then we look at life from the perspective and it's almost like the horse with the blinders that force him to go straight because his eyes are covered. We go out, and instead of God ruling us and then our purpose ruling us, instead, our negative thoughts rule us. Another miserable day at work. And the whole time, God will be trying to speak to you, illuminate your path, open up new doors, and open up new ideas, but you're getting up out of bed. Here I go again. And we almost get to the point where we're paranoid, amen? We're walking around negative. We're walking around waiting for who's going to attack us or do something to undermine us. We're looking for the next failure in our lives as opposed to what is the next success that God has for me. Now, I'm going to put this, this came to mind, so maybe this is pertinent, but I'll give you a perfect example. When I was in college, I basically tell people that I was on the eight-year extended plan because when I was in college, by the time I was 19, my father started getting sick and was in and out of the hospital. So by the time I was 21, he was dead. So as soon as my dad died, then my mother started getting sick. She ended up having breast cancer and multiple bouts. So I went from one parent being sick to the next parent being sick. So after a while, I started developing insomnia, started having negative thoughts. And it was a strain getting up every morning trying to not only work almost full time, to cover the expenses of college, but then go to classes and have the mindset that I can get this degree that I'm pursuing. So one of the things I taught myself, and here's the thing, I was unsaved, but it shows you the power of thinking positively. I used to look at taking a test the same way you think about going into a sports event. Amen? So in other words, I would go into a test with my game face on. And I didn't care whether it took an hour study two days of study, or three weeks of continuous study to prepare for that test. By the time I went into that classroom to take that test, I was so pumped up, I was almost yelling at the teacher, give me my test right now because I'm ready to go. In other words, by the time I got to the test, it didn't matter how difficult the test was, I was so pumped up in what I was going to do, I don't care if you give me the worst thing you could think of, you could throw the kitchen sink at me in terms of this test, I can't wait to earn my A. Amen? And it's the same thing with the job situation. I went at about it the same way. I went in and said, it's not going to be a case of whether they decide to hire me for this opportunity. Instead, I'm going into the interview with the mindset that it's going to be my decision whether or not I'm going to take the position that I'm interviewed for. So I went in with a different perspective. So how do you look at things on a daily basis? Do you go with the mindset of a champion and a warrior of the kingdom of God? Or do you go in with that same negativity that you may have had before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? So we need to evaluate our thought process. Is God sovereign in it? And do you believe his word about what it says about you and your capabilities? Or have you somehow enabled the enemy to flip things around so that God and what he says about you is beneath everything and your thoughts are constantly pulling you astray, having you going all over the place. The word of God tells us that a double-minded man in the book of James is unstable in all his ways. And what that passage of scripture is talking about is that you're basically 
schizophrenic. One day I trust God he's going to do all this. The next day, oh, woe is me. So we have to come to the place where we start to take rulership over that just like anything else. Now, we see here in God's hierarchy, he's been elevated above all things. So that needs to be at the root or the foundation of everything that we do on a daily basis. And as we see here in Philippians 2.9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now that word exalted means to be elevated above others. And it also means to raise it to the highest position. So my thing is, as you're evaluating your thoughts and different opportunities on a daily basis... Is Jesus' name involved in what you're doing? And if Jesus' name is not only involved, amen, do you have it elevated up? That even if I can't do it, that Jesus I serve gives me more than enough capabilities to attain whatever I'm trying to achieve. See, we need to learn how to get back to the way the old saints did. And they didn't know a bunch of scriptures. They didn't know the Hebrew and the Greek. But they know in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. We need to come back to the place where we place his name on the various things that we do. That we pray and we say, Jesus, I can't do it alone, but I'm trusting in you to enable me to overcome this moment of adversity that I'm facing. Amen? So we see Jesus' name has been elevated above everything else. So like I said, even if you can't do it, you need to place God's name in. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to pass this test. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to get this job opportunities for me. That word name means authority and character. So it's not just putting the name of Jesus on it and saying, in the name of Jesus, open up the door or enable me to succeed. That word that, that word name means that I want the authority of God to be in the mix of my circumstances. Amen? And I want the character of God to be elevated in the circumstance. So you're not trusting yourself anymore. And here's the thing. As we're evaluating our thoughts and that enemy's trying to plague you and you're walking around on a daily basis, oh, I'm so frustrated or oh, I'm so fearful or oh, this may happen and that may happen. And as you're going through that process, the imagination starts to come in and you start to create all these different negative scenarios, you need to take rulership over what's going on in your head and say, in the name of Jesus, I command every ungodly thought to flee my mind. Amen? It's like Martin. Get that stuff in. Remember Martin used to say that? I mean, it was a surf boy. <laughs> Caleb gets it. Amen? <laughs> Caleb got it more than Saul probably. Amen? But at a certain point, Martin would say, get the step in. And some of us need to be a little ruder. That's the thing. We're fighting the flesh with people. But do you fight according to the Spirit against those thoughts in your mind? You need to get more aggressive. You need to start saying, instead of me being owned and ruled and governed and frightened by my thoughts, instead, those thoughts got to go in the name of Jesus, get to stepping. Sometimes we got to get more aggressive with the enemy. Don't just let him sit there and torment you, torment you, torment you. If it was a human being getting in your face, you'd probably be about to ball up your fist and slug him one. But then we let the enemy come in and just do anything he wants in our heads. And he just torments us and torments us. And here's the thing. Even a docile animal, when it's cornered by a predator, will put up a last-ditch effort to save its life. Why don't we do the same? Amen. Why are we laying back passively and letting the enemy just do anything he wants to us? God wants us to start fighting and taking dominion over that. Amen? And here, 
we actually see the dominion aspects of mankind in our next scripture. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now that word subdue means to tread down, to disregard, to conquer, and to subjugate. That word subjugate is kind of like a, a very aggressive, violent world, word because subjugate isn't just taking dominion over something. Subjugate is like you putting your foot on its neck and saying, I'm in charge of you. It's almost like that Ali, Muhammad Ali picture years ago where he had the fight. And at the end of the fight, he had his foot on the guy. And he was kind of had his head up like he was screaming in victory, amen, with his muscles flared up and stuff like that. So God says he wants us to tread upon things. So it's not just the things of this earth taking dominion of the animals, but when God brought us down, created us on the planet earth, and he told us to subdue everything, Satan had fallen at a point. So he was saying not only take ownership and rulership over the animals, and over your thoughts, but he said, every creature that is down here, I want you to subjugate them. In other words, you're not supposed to be subject to the devices of the enemy and the animals and your thoughts. You're to take rulership and ownership over them. Amen? So God has created us as dominating beings. Matter of fact, the word dominion means to bring into bondage or force, to keep under, to subdue, and once again, to bring under subjection. So we see all the time that we're in dominion over the animals of the earth, but we fall short of the glory of God when we fell into sin. But now that we've been redeemed in Jesus Christ, God has re-elevated us up back to dominion level authority as long as we operate in his name. So no longer do we have to fall prey of what the enemy has. Instead, God wants us to take back our rightful place and say, I'm not going to walk around being subjected and imprisoned by not only the enemy, but also about the things that my flesh is saying to me. Amen? So take dominion over those things. Basically, the enemy tries to assault us a couple ways. And in our next passage, we're going to actually see the ways in which the enemy tries to operate. And in the book of Job, we see what I saw in the Bible years ago as the first assault of Satan. And it says in Job chapter 1, verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But pour forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Looking at this, I was like, why does this Bible I have have a header before this section that says the first assault of Satan because we've been trained to think that assault is a physical action. Amen? You look at, at crime, that's one of the things that officers of the law charge people with when they harm somebody, assault and battery, because they took their hand 
hit somebody or they use a weapon to assault that person. So it's a form of physical harm. But we know that Satan obviously didn't get in the face of God and say, put my duke up, dukes up, God, let's go at it. But it's still referred to it as an assault of Satan. If you look at it, it's an assault in terms of how God was supposed to perceive Job. God, Satan said to God that if you stop blessing this man out of his socks, if he don't have a wife and the kids and the property and the livestock and all these things that he's glorifying you over, if we strip all these things out of his life, he's going to curse you, God. So it was an assault in terms of influence and how God perceives things. Now, we know, of course, that God didn't fall for that attack. But we have to realize that the enemy tries to do the same thing in our lives. He tries to assault us, not always in the physical, but in how we perceive things from a mental perspective in our thoughts. Amen? And we'll see that in our next passage of Scripture that he he literally does that. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman... Yea, have God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." So we see here that the same way that, that, that Satan tried to assault God with his perceptions and how he viewed Job, now Satan is coming in the form of the serpent to Eve and doing the same thing. He didn't come and say, I'm going to take your life, Eve, and I'm going to snuff out Adam because he saw the glory of God on him. He knew he couldn't attack them physically. So what he did was the next best thing. If I can't assault you physically and harm you, I'm going to attack you in terms of how you perceive things, your thought process, your mindset about the nature of God. So he came in and he said, eat of this tree. And and Eve responded, well, we can't do that. God told us not. So what does he respond? Well, if you eat of this tree, you'll be as God. So since he's not letting you eat of the tree, obviously God is withholding something from you. And if he was a good God, he let you eat of that tree. So why in the world would he hold back something from you that's good? So he attacked Eve in terms of how she perceived God. Now, unfortunately, we know how the story goes. She fell into it. Adam walked into it. And now we all messed up because of that. But the reality is the enemy, even there, could not attack them because he saw the glory of God upon them. And that's the thing. The enemy, if you really look at it on a daily basis, a lot of times he doesn't attack us, you know, physically. He doesn't come up with, you know, uh, some kind of weapon and hit you. You're like, ouch, ouch, or I've been stabbed and you laying on the floor hurt. What he does is he attacks you in terms of your mind. And if you look at it on a daily basis, one of the primary ways that the enemy attacks you is try to say, God failed you. God doesn't love you. God didn't reward you. Hey, you did all this for God. Why am I still broke? You did all this for God. Why didn't you get that job I returned? See, he's always attacking you in terms of God doesn't love you. God's not faithful to you. You even did this for God, but look how God rewarded you. Your situation is worse than it was before you started serving God. Matter of fact, a lot of times the enemy tries to come in and say, boy, 
life was so much easier before I got saved. You ever get that one? <laughs> and the more you try to serve God, it seems like the more you have problems in your life sometimes. <laughs> and the enemy tries to come in there. And, and like I said, man, when I was an unsaved heathen drinking and cursing and doing all this stuff, partying, like it's 1999 or 2099 now. Man, life was so great. But what we forget is when you partied and got drunk like it's 2099, you came home and you were, as they said, kissing the porcelain god late at night. So you forget all about that. You forget about all the times you did stuff wrong and you could have been thrown in jail or you could have lost this job or you know, all these different things we could have lost. Somehow, when the enemy talks about us, about all the things that we lost in God, he somehow forgets to remind us of all the misery we had before we were saved. Amen? So... You just got to realize that in the warfare we experience on a daily basis, the enemy's always trying to get in and tell us that God doesn't love, God's not faithful. As we see here with Adam and Eve, God is withholding that thing from you that you deserve and take it from there. It's just a trap of the enemy. It's a trick to make you think that life was better beforehand. Amen? All right, so next verse we see. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeing whom he may devour. So, one of the things you'll notice, that the enemy will try to intimidate you, and one of the things I, I was looking at before is that, when he sees the glory of God on you, he attacks you with subtlety and influence. He tries to trick you, he tries to deceive you, now, if you walk around unsaved, that's when the enemy comes in and says, I'm going to snuff out your life. I'm going to give you this disease. The consequences of you drinking is you, you going to jail or that person is going to get back at you. He tries to come in with fear and intimidation where you're not covered with the glory of God. And here's the thing. Even as Christians, if we walk around on a daily basis and we're not diligently studying that word to refresh in our spirits, to rejuvenate ourselves, to empower ourselves so that it comes back to us at our time of need, if we don't do the process of exercising our faith the same way you need to exercise your body, when the enemy tries to come in with fear and intimidation, you're going to fall prey to those attacks because you haven't built up your spiritual muscles to be able to withstand an attack. One of the things myself and, and Mr. Kelly will tell you is that over the years of having a Taekwondo training, when you first sparred, stuff would hurt, even with the padding. But through years and years of training, I got to the point after I got my, my black belt and then my second black belt that a lot of times I go to spar and they would say, well, why aren't you putting on your chest protector? Or why are you putting on this or that? I was literally just putting on pads to cover up my elbows in the part where I could hurt somebody else by accidentally striking them with my elbow. But in the areas in which beforehand I would be wounded by a hard kick or something like that, I basically disciplined my muscles to the point that no matter how hard you kick me in the stomach or chest, I basically could sustain it and keep on fighting. And it's the same thing with us spiritually. At first, we're weaker in our faith. But as we continue to train ourselves, take in the word, exercise in the principles of God, we get stronger and stronger so that the blows that he sends our way now aren't going to harm us the same as they did previously. But if you don't continually train yourself... The same way an athlete's muscles get atrophied and he could get an injury once he gets back on that playing field, it's the same thing with us spiritually. Your spiritual muscles will get atrophied. As we see here, the enemy is basically telling us, I mean, I'm sorry, the word of God is basically telling us, be sober. That word sober means to be on the alert. In other words, as you're walking around on a daily basis, don't take it for granted that the enemy's not going to do anything to try to undermine your faith. 
You have not arrived. You have not graduated. As long as you're in this fleshly body, the enemy is going to always look for ways in which he can attack you. So God is saying, be careful. Be vigilant. In other words, keep your eyes on the alert. Amen. Because why? The adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is seeking who he can devour. And that word, and the thing is, it shows us here, it says he's seeking who he can devour. See, he doesn't have the power to really devour you. The only way he can even come into the point where you think that the enemy can destroy your life is if you've been weakening your faith so that the attacks on your mind and the things he speaks into you start to take root and get a hold of you. We see here that the word of God says that he's as a roaring lion. In other words, he's not a lion, but he'll come at you and growl as if he is one. So we got to be in a place spiritually, though, where when we hear the, 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 the roar of the enemy coming at us, we got to recognize it as, okay, he's got the sound of, the, of a lion. He may even have the appearance of a lion, but he don't have the teeth and the strength and the power of a lion in my life because I serve the greater lion, amen, the lion of Judah, who enables me to overpower every assault that the enemy can send my way. Amen? So what are some of these lions? Like I said previously, the lions that could be roaring at you are, my bills are stacking up, so I'm about to lose my home. Amen? And the enemy's growling at you. He's roaring at you. He seems like he's got you back in the corner, and he's about to ruin everything that you have. But thank God that Jesus Christ, we yield ourselves to him and stay tuned into his word, and we pray and believe God, and then we do whatever God directs us to do. God enables us to walk in victory over every situation. So the enemy, like I said, appears as a lion, but he doesn't really have anything to back up that roaring unless you give him the power to overcome you. Amen? So you got a choice. Do we let the enemy come in and a lot of times speak something to our minds that makes us exhibit some kind of behavior or run away from God or start distrusting God? Or do we stand firm upon the word of God? The only way you can get weakened in your faith is really if you allow it to happen. Amen? See, the enemy can't do that to you. He can attack. We even see in the book of Job that God might lift off his hand for a season that the enemy can come in and do something physically. But that should have no bearing whatsoever on your faith. Your faith, no matter what you're dealing with, should be rock hard. Amen? Stable as can be. And that is the thing that can enable you to withstand every attack that the enemy sends your way so that you're not overcome from your circumstances. So the enemy, a lot of times, wants to just cripple you mentally, cripple your perceptions. And then once he's done that, you're basically walking around basically walking out what he's spoken as opposed to what God's word is saying over your circumstances. Now, um, James chapter 4, 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So we see here that God says, submit yourself to him. And what he wants us to do on a daily basis is resist the devil. And you've got to realize, when he's talking about resisting the devil, it's not just like well, you see this figure appear before your eyes, and he's red, and he got horns on the top of his head. No, resisting the devil is not only... If a demonic spirit or Satan himself comes your way, which probably most of us ain't even in the league that he would even approach us, 
be honest with you. But a lot of times the devil in your life that you need to resist is the things that you're thinking. Amen? On a daily basis. It's what you're thinking in your flesh. It's what the enemy's speaking to you from situations and experiences. It's what other people in your life are speaking into you and saying to hinder you from what God wants you to do. That's really the devil that we're engaging in battle on a daily basis. But as we see here, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And the way that you resist the devil is not in hand-to-hand combat, wrestling him down on the floor or throwing punches. The way that you resist the devil is that every time he comes, you go back to the Word of God and say, what does God say about this situation? What does God say about this thought that's growing through my mind right now? What does God say about what those people talking about me are saying? And it doesn't matter whether it was their opinion. It doesn't matter whether they have credentials to back what they're saying. The reality is, no matter what they're speaking, if it contradicts the word of God, you need to throw it out and say, I'm going to believe God and his word regardless of that. So we need to stay tuned. Amen. If you're going to tune your brain to a particular radio station or a particular channel, you need to switch from the doom and gloom and negativity channel over to the God's empowerment channel. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, I know one of the things that the Lord laid on my heart is that we're talking about the principles of God and how we think and casting down some imaginations, but... He's really pressing on us to look at some examples of what are some of the types of things that we deal with on a daily basis. Amen? And there's no way I'm going to cover everything, but he just placed a few on my heart. And one of the things that he wanted me to look at first as an example of the enemy's attacks is compulsion. One of the things that attacks us in terms of how we think is compulsive thoughts. Amen? Compulsive thoughts. Repeat after me, compulsive thoughts. And what is a compulsive thought? A compulsive thought is an irresistible impulse to act, regardless of the rationality of the motivation. You ever have a time where the devil is just assaulting your mind and saying, do this, do this, do this, and the whole time you're thinking about it, you're like, this is going to mess me up when I get caught. Or this is going to mess me up. When the fallout of this occurs, or I might get away with this now, but I'm going to pay the price later. And everything in you is saying, don't do this thing, but there's still this pull on you that says, I got to do it. (laughs) So um, one of the passages that the Lord brought to mind in relation to compulsion is 2 Samuel 13. I'm not going to read the whole, well, I I can't put the whole thing up there, it would be too small. But 2 Samuel 13 1 to 17 is what you can read later. It says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister, whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And as the story goes on, Jonadab, instead of slapping him upside of his head like he should have done, and said, Fool, you can't be messing with your sister, you crazy? I mean, first of all, ew. I mean, that's just gross. But this man is sitting there 
so enamored and full of lust regarding his sister that first it says that he got sick. He wanted his sister so much that I can't eat. I just can't eat because I can't have the person I desire. So it says he got literally sick in his body and couldn't eat. And then he started playing games with himself because first it went from saying that he had a fair sister to when he talked to Jonadab, his boy, his homie, he says, I love Tamar, my brother's sister. Well, what happened to her being your sister? So he started playing games with himself to justify his sin. And as it goes down further in the passage scripture, it says in verse 14, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, when she's basically saying, this is a horrible thing, we can't do this. It says, but he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. And then in verse 15 it says, Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto her, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out for me and bolt the door after her. Now, wait a minute. One second. This guy was so in love with his sister that he had to have her, so fascinated with her that he couldn't eat. But after he's forced himself upon her, it says now he hated her more than he ever desired her, and he kicked her out the room. You've got to ask yourself, why could this happen? And the reality is, as we see from this passage of Scripture, you have compulsive thoughts about, i got to have, i got to have, i got to have. Then after a while, the compulsion to fulfill your sin and pursue that temptation goes so strong that it starts to deceive you. And it starts to give you reasons why you could pursue this thing. But unfortunately, as we see here in this story, a lot of times after you achieve the very thing that you had to have, once you get it and the sin is fulfilled, the devil's like, all right, I'm going you out and use you. So the devil backs off, and now you're sitting there stuck with frustration, conviction, condemnation, and you're sitting there like, how in the world could I have done this? And now you're sitting there like, now retribution is coming. Now punishment is coming. Now God's judgment is coming after you did the thing that you had to do. And the thing is, that sense of, I can't do this because I don't want to be outside of the will of God. Or that thing I can't do because it's criminal. Or that thing I couldn't do because people are going to look at me and judge my character. When you're dealing with that compulsion and letting it rule over you, the lust and the desire to fulfill it, and then your flesh tying itself into that thing and giving it strength, pulls you so strong that you go and do it anyway, even though the whole time you knew that it was wrong. And then after the fact, after the enemy's had his way with you, it's like, okay, now I'm left here to deal with the consequences of my fall. So we have to be careful and let the Holy Spirit, in other words, when we're feeling those compulsive thoughts, we got to take it back to the Holy Spirit every time in the Word of God and say, God, hey, in my flesh, I got to do it. Just be real with God. I just got to do it. Amen? And be real with God and say, God... I don't have the strength in and of myself to avoid this, so I need you, if need be, to put a spiritual straitjacket on me, put an ankle around my waist. Lord, do something that will prevent me from attaining the thing that I'm pursuing because I know in my heart of hearts and in my spirit that this does not mean me well. 
And that's the thing. The enemy will open up doors and the enemy will make these things irresistible urges to you that seem pleasurable for a season. But once he's had his, his way with you, then he lets you suffer the consequences of it after the fact. So we have to get to the place where we are careful about our next steps. We need to consult the right people for guidance. We need to get in the face of God and pray and saturate ourselves with the word that is, is pertinent to that area in our lives so that God gives us that supernatural strength to overcome the compulsion that is trying to pull us away. And we all have various ways that the enemy pulls on us. So we also have to know not only what is the type of attack that's coming my way, but what is personal to me. What pulls on me? Because the things that pull on me, you might be like, what's the big deal? Where somebody else might be like, oh, my God, that pushes my hot button. I'm ready to go. So I got to really guard myself about that area of life. So we need to know ourselves, amen, what pushes us, what drives us, what motivates us, and what can seduce us away from God because it's unique to each one of us. Amen? Hallelujah. In the book of Romans, we actually see how we can get power over these compulsions. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So we see here, that there is a war that is raging in our members. Amen? And in your spirit, you're like, hey, I want to walk in obedience with God. I love God. I don't want to do anything that will grieve the Holy Spirit. But then you still find that there's these compulsions that we have, that I want to go out and do that thing that was inappropriate. And here's the thing. We could try to say, oh, well, if I grow in faith to a certain point, I'm going to get to the place where this stuff doesn't affect me anymore. But the reality is that Paul had such an experience with Jesus Christ that he was blinded for days as God himself literally trained him and then dispatched him in the ministry. And he wrote here one of the most confusing passages of Scripture that you will ever read. I mean, it's just, I don't want to say poorly written, but it's kind of like a hard read. The things I want to do, I can't do, but the things I don't want to do, I do. Amen? And he's basically saying it's because of the war In my members, that's in your flesh, the war to go after the things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the temptations that all men suffer. And if Paul, the great apostle, would say that he was on a daily fight to restrain himself, but he didn't have the power in himself to do it, 
But then he went further to say, oh, wretched man that I am, but thanks be to God that through the Holy Spirit, he gives me the power to overcome these lusts. Then we have to realize that we're in the same predicament. Amen? So the bad thing is that we have negative things that pull on us and negative thoughts that try to pull us into sin and to entangle us. But the good thing is, the same way that Paul says, I can't trust in myself and I have to fight this fight, but it is the Holy Spirit that enables me to win this war. The same way, we can trust in the Holy Spirit to do the same thing to give us victory in our lives as well. Amen? So, thank God, amen, through Jesus Christ our Lord. You and your flesh cannot overcome the compulsive mindset and the compulsive urges that come your way on a daily basis. But thank God that anytime you feel that compulsive urge, if you turn to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, you got to help me right now, then he is the one that can supernaturally empower us and restrain us if necessary and say, no, you're not going to do that today. As long as we trust in ourselves, we are going to fall into sin. But if we trust in the Holy Spirit, he has more than enough power. If he can create a universe, if he can create a planet, if he can bring life to inanimate things here on the earth, he has more than enough power to restrain us from sinning. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Now, the next thing that I want to look at is kind of like a step further. We saw compulsion, but then another thing that we have to deal with sometimes is obsession. Compulsion is an irresistible impulse to do something, regardless of whether it's a rational thing. I mean, it's, sometimes you're looking at it and you say, this is straight out foolishness. But I got to do it. <laughs> now, with obsession, though, it's when you have an irrational motive for performing trivial or repetitive actions. And a lot of times, or actually most of the time, when you have obsession for something, you're motivated to do it and to do it repeatedly and even though it may have started off as a compulsive urge to do something, it grows to the point where i got to do it, and now it has such a pull on me, such a stronghold on me, that I'm doing it against my will. So you may have started off liking the thing, but after, after a while it has such a pull on you that now it has rulership over you and it's forcing you to go against your will. A lot of times it can also be a compulsive preoccupation with something you want, some kind of idea or something you need to have, or it could be a feeling you have about something or somebody. A lot of times when you have these obsessions, it's accompanied with anxiety, but there's still something in you that says, I got to do it. Amen? You can write this down. I'm, gonna actually, I'm not going to actually read this now, but in Ezekiel chapter 23, it talks about two sisters well, I'll read a little a part of it. It says, The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. And they committed whoredoms in Egypt. They committed whoredoms in their youth. There were their breasts pressed, and there they, where they bruised the teeth of their virginity. And the names of them were Aholobah the elder and Aholobah her sister. And they were mine, and they bare sons and daughters. Basically, as it goes down through this passage of Scripture, it says that they were envisioning relationships with people from foreign countries, and the more and more they envision it in their heads or their minds, the more they had to have it until finally they went out and pursued the very sins that they were fascinated about. And what happens, though, in this passage of Scripture, as you go further down in Ezekiel, it says that they doted upon it. In other words, even though they weren't literally doing it at the time, they were 
fantasizing and imagining so much of their lives that they were literally in their minds kind of dwelling in the situation and playing it out in their minds to it finally grew so strong that they actually literally went out and did it. And what we see in that passage of Scripture, it says that eventually they were corrupted in their sin, their minds were reprobate, and finally God looked at them and says, you're alienated from me. And that, what he was basically doing at the time, he's talking about his people Israel, but literally this is something that can happen with people at first, that if we continue to say, I got to have, I got to have, I got to have, whether it's a person, a thing, material possessions, fame and fortune, power, whatever it may be. If you continue to fascinate yourself with it and you don't dwell on the things of God, it can start to pull you so strong that now it basically takes you away and you alienate yourself from your relationship with God. So we have to be very careful that if God wants something for us, he's going to open up the door to opportunities. He's going to open up power, fame, position, wealth, and he'll give us the capability to handle those things, amen, because God's not against that. But we just have to be careful that whether or not it's ruling us or is God directing us to that situation and he's still in charge of our circumstances and our lives, as well as how we think about things, amen? Hallelujah. Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 3 through 6, it says, Son of men, these men have set up their idols in their heart, and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that set up his idols in his heart, and put the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols." Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from your, your abominations. So we see here that we have to be careful, not only once again with compulsive thoughts and impulses, but enable them to grow to the point that they become an obsessive behavior that starts to pull us to do things that we don't want to do. And I'll even go a step further and say, obsession could not only be a physical action that you commit, but obsession could actually be how you perceive things, how you walk around on a daily basis. You could be obsessed with, I'm not going to succeed. You could be obsessed with, oh, this is going to happen with me. You could walk around so obsessed with various thoughts and thinking about them so much that God can't even speak to you. God can't open up doors of opportunity to you, and you continue to fail because you're so busy focusing on the negative and the ungodly that you can't see what God's trying to do in your life. Amen? So we have to be careful that we only allow what God wants us to be pondering and thinking on to control our thought process as opposed to ungodly things. As we see here, if we continue to fascinate and obsess over things, it can get to the point where these things can grow to be an idol in our heart. Not only were you thinking on them, but now every aspect in the core of our beings is focusing on going out and fulfilling or achieving this thing or having that relationship. And it gets to the point where it blinds us. And God will say, if you get to the point where you're obsessing over this thing or this person so much that you've got to have it at all costs, God says if he'll try to reprove you, he'll try to redirect you, he'll try to get you straight. But if you continue to go after it at a certain point, God will finally say, even if you go to a person of God, I'm going to justify you going out and get that thing so you can finally have your full of it, see it for what it is, and hopefully repent and come back to me and be in right standing. Amen? 
Hopefully, none of us have to get to the place where we have to deal with that situation. But praying that we all be in a place where we're open to receiving from God and he directs us on a daily basis as to what we should be focusing on, how we're thinking and perceiving things, and what he's going to do in our lives. Amen? Praise the Lord. Next thing I want to look at is fear, because this is something that attacks a lot of people on a daily basis. Amen? Various forms of fear. And one thing you've got to realize about fearful thoughts is that most of the time, the thing that you fear isn't even your reality. It's just how you think of the thing. And what starts out is, with fear, a lot of times, it's not the reality of something, it's the possibility of it occurring. But because you don't take that fear back to God and say, take away this feeling of anxiety from me, or straight out, Lord, remove this fear that I'm feeling, as you continue to think of the anxious thoughts, they start to grow in nature until the problem or the situation starts to take a life on of its own. And now you're sitting there shaking at night and losing sleep, walking around discouraged and anxious. And you just, instead of anticipating the things of God manifesting, you're sitting there waiting for the ungodly things that the enemy has for you to come on the horizon. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? So fear makes you start to make that your reality, and instead of anticipating what God has for you on a daily basis and being excited about it, like, wow, what's God going to do today? Instead, you're walking up the mindset of, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? <laughs> when's the enemy going to do this to me? So you actually give life and power to your fears by dwelling upon them because you have not submitted them over to God and brought peace back into your circumstances. Now we see here, in Psalm 27, what God would say about our focus. And Psalm 27.1 says, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat my, up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war should rage, I'm sorry, rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Now I was looking at this a little closer in the underlying Hebrew. And it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And when I looked at the word light, the word light means illumination or luminary in every sense. Amen? Is God your light in every sense? When you get that negative report, when you get that bad report card, the person says, oh, well, we're about to lay people off, or some negative situation comes on the horizon, is God still your light? Because as we see here, it says that God is not only our illumination, but he's luminary in every sense. In other words, God's light should be present in every situation. 
So when we hear a negative report about something, are we focusing on the darkness of what was stated? Job cuts, bill stacked up, negative medical report. Do we take our eyes off the light of Jesus, which should be lighting our path in every sense? Or do we divert our attention from what God says, despite the dark situation, and say, okay, well, I see the darkness, but sorry, I'm focusing back on the light and what he's going to do. So do you enable situations and circumstances to divert your attention? Because God, he's available to be your light in every situation, including the dark circumstances that we face on a daily basis. But the things that we experience, the things that are spoken to us, the things we perceive, and sometimes our flesh say to us, they can sometimes divert us away. And it's up to us to say, I understand the fact that this negative thing did or may happen, but despite the fact that it did or may happen, i got to take my mindset back to God's light. Because even in the darkness, the Word of God says, if I make my bed in hell, and that's pretty dark, last time I checked, or full of flames or something, that's pretty bad. If you make your bed in hell, I ain't trying to do that, David, so you got that one. But even if you made your bed in hell, it says that God's light is there for those that trust in him and call out to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So is there light in your situation all the time, or do you let your focus get pulled over to those things? And like I said, these are thoughts, negative things that are going to happen on a daily basis. A lot of times, the negativity that you sense in your mind or your perceptions, these are things that come and it's not even your reality. If you really look at on a daily basis, when you get up and you're walking around, you're moping, you're sulking, or somebody does give you a negative report, oh, well, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that. How much time do you spend, like, dang, they said I'm going to mess up. What is your reaction? Do you say, okay, well, things aren't looking good now, but doggone it, I'm going to regroup, I'm going to go back and study, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to push myself, I'm going to do this or that. In other words, do you flip the switch on that thing and say, I'm going to find a way to bring something positive and godly out of this? Or do you sit there mesmerized with the negative thing and that's where you stay? And that's where your focus stays? Because if you're doing that, you're looking at the darkness and focusing and obsessing over the darkness as opposed to turning your attention back to God who says he is the great I am. And he's going to be the one that's going to provide for every circumstance you face. Amen? So God wants to be your luminary, your light, your path in the midst of darkness in every situation. And it says also, not only is the Lord my light, but it says he's my salvation. That word salvation in underlying Hebrew means he's our liberty, he's our deliverance, he's our prosperity, and he's our safety. So can we truly say in every situation that God is all those things? Or do we allow ourselves to take God in precedence off the throne of our thoughts and say, yeah, I understand what the word says, but you don't understand this situation. Amen? I mean, some of us, and we've probably all been there. I'm not even going to say some of us. We've probably all been there where we got a negative report from the world system, the world, or our flesh, and we permitted God to drop down the totem pole a little bit in favor of that thing that we're worried about. Amen? So we just got to be careful. Now, that word fear, just think about that. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? That word fear means to revere. We think of the word revere or reverence in terms of, you know, I reverence God. I worship God. But did you realize that if you're sitting there, what's going to happen to me next? You are revering those thoughts. 
In other words, you're elevating those thoughts and you're giving them priority or you're giving them authority into your life so they become sovereign, sovereign over your thought process as opposed to what God says about that situation. So are you revering those thoughts, those negative thoughts that are in your head, or are you doing what the Word says that even though the negative thought comes in, even though the negative situation comes in, God is my light and my salvation, I am not going to fear that thing. If I'm going to fear something in life, I'm going to fear God who could do something about my circumstances. I'm not going to give any fear and authority to that situation I'm facing because when you revere something, you give it power. Amen? You give it power in your life. And as we know, when you think about a negative thing and you continue to ponder it and focus on it, just think about that. It gains more strength. Why is it gaining strength? It ain't gaining strength because the enemy's sending it your way. It's gaining strength because you're sitting there focusing on it, feeding the beast. Amen? So instead of feeding the beast, take his plate away. Starve that thought. Starve that negative situation by turning your energies, your trust, and your focus back on the principles of God and then strip the enemy of his power over your life. Amen? So we need to learn, if we're going to obsess, obsess over the things of God. When that fearful thought comes in, start singing that song that uplifts you spiritually. Sing it ten times if you have to. Sing it a hundred times if you have to. Sing it to the point. You ever have a situation where, especially a bad song comes on, and then all of a sudden, in your head, over the course of the day, you keep hearing that song replaying, and you're like, Dad, I can't get that song out of my mind. Amen? Well, that shows you you have the capacity that certain things could be in your mind that on their own start to recycle themselves. They start to loop. So we need to start to train our brains that when the enemy sends in negativity, instead of us putting that negative thought on a loop to replay itself, we need to go to that song that lifts us up and makes us feel strong in God. Or even if it's one scripture that edifies you, go to a scripture, memorize that thing, and every time you hear that thought, go back to the scripture and start playing in your head. And then after a while, instead of that negative thought replaying itself over and over, you'll probably find that God's scripture keeps playing itself in your head. And see, you're no longer thinking it and forcing yourself to think it. Instead, that scripture just starts to play. And you'll be laying down in your bed at night, you hear that scripture. You get up in the morning, you hear that scripture. It starts to loop itself around so that you're hearing the principles of God that edify you as opposed to ungodly things that tear you down and make you lose sleep at night. So God does not want us to revere things. And then it goes in the next verse. It says, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That word afraid means to fear in general or overall. Do you have some things in your life that you're fearful about overall? And when I'm saying overall, I'm not talking about the stuff that pops up once in a while. Uh-oh. I'm talking about overall. It's like, you know, well. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But on a daily basis, I'm worried about my health. I'm overall worried about my health. I'm overall worried about whether I'm going to lose this or that. See, there's certain things that, even though you may not be sitting there 24-7, chewing your fingernails and, you know, being all messed up about it, there's still things in your, the overall perspective of your life that you could be afraid of. And those things, you're giving them power to because, once again, you have not taken those things back to the Word of God and rehearsed His principles to overcome them to the point that now they have no power over your life. So it says here, Of whom shall I be afraid? Who are you afraid of in general overall? 
And then it also goes further and says to be suddenly startled by something or to be made to shake or tremble. Is there something in your life that comes back to rear its ugly head all the time and you shake? Amen? Or you about to jump out of your skin and run away from it. God says there should be nothing in your life that has that kind of power. Instead, he should be the one that has power over everything from your mind's perspective. And through that, you realize that he's going to enable you to get through everything that you need to deal with in life. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, so, you know, I'm going to close there today, and we'll continue on. Next week, we're going to look at how to recognize the enemy's attack. Amen? Some ways in which we can recognize the enemy's attacks. And then we're going to look at, after recognizing attacks, that's not good enough. We need to be able to recognize the enemy's attack and then know how to fight the enemy's attacks. Amen? So we're going to look at how to recognize the attacks. And then once you recognize them, how to fight them. And I'm going to give you, actually, I'm going to show this real quick, but I'll show it again next week. Because I really want to start getting this in your spirit. Because as we deal with compulsive and obsessive thoughts and thoughts of fear, a lot of times what happens is we start to look at ourselves and we start to get condemned. So I'm going to cover this again next week, but I want you all to start to get this into your spirit this week. What happens is when you sin, you feel conviction. When the enemy wants to deal with you about sin, he brings in condemnation. So I want to start y'all focusing on this now so you can recognize this as part of recognizing the enemy's attacks. So as we see here, it's a chart with two sides of the coin. If it's condemnation, which comes from the enemy, it brings fear of God's wrath. God's going to get me. Amen? If it's conviction, even though God has to discipline you for what you did wrong, it still gives you the sense that God loves you throughout the disciplinary process. Amen? You can compare that with a children with their parents. If a child does something wrong, you know your parents love you, but they still got to discipline you. Whereas, if it was condemnation, it would be similar to, I did something wrong, my parents are going to kill me. So that's how condemnation makes you feel like, I'm going to be destroyed as a result of what I did. Whereas conviction is, okay, I did wrong, I got to be disciplined, but... They still love me. See, there's, there's still a godly sense of it. There's still something that uplifts you even in the midst of the discipline. Now, condemnation makes you feel worthless. I sinned. I'm a horrible person. I'm worthless. Conviction leads you to contrition or godly sorrow for your sin, but you don't feel worthless. You don't feel like, I should have never been born. You understand? Next one is condemnation targets your character. Look at what you did. You're stupid. You're bad. You're a horrible human being. That's what condemnation does. It targets who you are and the fact that you're no good. You're just a rotten individual. Conviction targets your sin. It says you did bad. You're still the righteousness of Christ. You're still a prized possession of God. You're still a child of the king. But I'm targeting what you did wrong. Get that right. You see the difference? It doesn't attack your character and make you feel worthless. You still feel like God loves you even in the midst of the fact, yeah, you screwed up royally, but I'm targeting what you did, not who you are. Amen? Condemnation accuses you before God and man. Look at you. 
I knew it. You're a hypocrite. You're this, you're that. It says all these negative things about you and points the finger at you. Whereas conviction explains why you failed, but then it shows you, okay, here's how you failed, but through the word of God, here's how we could turn the situation around. So you're back in right standing with God. Condemnation calls you to run further away from God. God's going to get me. Better run. Conviction says, I did wrong, and I feel like running away from God, but the more I come back to God, wow, the more powerfully I can feel his love. I did wrong, but wow, he still loves me. And the closer I get, wow, the better I feel. See, it makes me want to take another step closer, even though I did wrong. Condemnation says, the further I get away, the better I feel in my flesh, but the more entangled I get into my circumstances. Condemnation darkens your understanding of godly principles, and it further entangles you. It fogs your vision. It makes you think this is okay. It deceives you. It seduces you, and it clouds your judgment. Conviction illuminates your path and how God can make the situation right. And even if you've messed up your life through the sin, God shows you through, con- through conviction, yes, you messed up. Yes, prodigal son, you're eating the pig slot, but here's how I can restore you and bring you back to the palace. Um, Condemnation gives you a sense of heaviness and hopelessness. This situation can never be turned around. I'm going too far this time. Oh, I feel so weighed down in my mess. Conviction alleviates the burden of sin as you address it and you renounce it. And then finally, condemnation keeps you in a perpetual state of torment while you're dealing with that sin. And matter of fact, sometimes even after you try to repent of something, if you operate in a mindset of condemnation and don't understand godly conviction, the devil could actually deceive you to think with a condemned mindset so that you're still tormented, even after you've actually repented. So condemnation just destroys, it makes you feel horrible, and it torments you. Conviction gives you freedom as soon as you, re- you deal with the sin. God, I realize now what I did wrong. I repent of it. I'm going to try my best never to do this again. And God takes off the weight and you feel light and free. Wow, I can walk around with my head up again. You know, I messed up and I had my shoulders drooped, but now God's forgiven me, and I'm a child of a king. Amen? Hallelujah. So we're going to repeat this again next week, but I wanted to start to get into your spirit for next week. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, so let's all rise, and we'll close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just... Praise and thank you, Father, once again. We just give you the glory, honor, and praise, Father, for your word. And, Lord, as we're studying, casting down imaginations, Father, if there's been anything in our minds, Father, that's been contrary to your word, whether it's from attacks of the enemy, whether it's from situations and experiences, whether it's uh, individuals, medical, uh, professional, that have spoken negatively in our lives, or even if it's ourselves and in our flesh, Father, and our emotions, If there's anything ungodly in the way that we perceive things, Lord, we just, first of all, if it's something that we've done in terms of thinking negatively, Lord, and and in an ungodly manner, we repent of it right now, Father. And the next time, Father, we feel led to speak down upon ourselves or to disdain ourselves or to hold ourselves in contempt or to say, I can't do or this isn't for me, Lord, we ask you, Father, through the Holy Spirit to put a check in our spirits, Father, that we would not even be able to utter it. And even going further, Lord, 
prevent us not only from uttering negative things, Father, but even in the ways we think, Father, just put a, a restraint on us that we would automatically catch ourselves, repent of it, and then we would automatically think of something uplifting about who you've called us to be and what your destiny is for our lives. And we just thank you also, Father, that if there's been somebody else that has spoken ungodly about us, Father, that first of all, we would forgive them for what they have done in ignorance, And if they've even done it purposely, Lord, we just praise you, Father, to just bless them and we forgive them right now, Father, because through forgiveness, Father, we are released, Father, from any bondage that we have with that person, Lord. So we just thank and praise you, Father, for this. And right now, we just praise you, Father, to do a mighty work in us, Father. Many of us are uh, getting educational, going for educational advancement. Some of us are going, Father, for professional things, Lord. There's career objectives that we're pursuing. So right now, Father, we just recall from the first week that we saw as a man thinking of his heart, so is he. So we praise you, Father, that you've called each one of us for an incredible future and to have a powerful destiny, Lord, not only to live for you successfully, Father, but also to be able to lead other people to Christ. So right now, Father, we speak, hallelujah, those things, those plans, those visions into fruition, Lord. And Father, if we've strayed off the path, we praise you right now, Father, to realign us, Father, and show us exactly what you've called us to do, Father, that we can walk in obedience to you. And we just give you the praise praise, the honor, and glory for that. Once again, Father, we ask you to speak to our minds, Father, whether it's uh, a mental thing, an emotional thing, or even if it's uh, a chemical, a biochemical thing, Father, right now, we ask you to do a reparative, restorative work in our minds, rejuvenate the spirit of our minds, Father, that we would only perceive things according to your mindset, according to your word. And we just thank you, Father, for this. And even as we would do that, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We would see many miracles and many testimonies fulfilled in this year, Lord. The fulfillment of many visions, Lord. And right now, Father, uh, even as uh, you open up doors of opportunity for us to be blessed, Lord, once again, we praise you, Father, for every opportunity you would give us to touch lives for Jesus Christ, that many souls would be saved and transformed this year. And we just give you the praise, honor, and glory, Father, for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.